Hey, welcome to Chucked. I'm Austin Charles. This is Charles Braxton with me. We're father and son. Talk about sports. Talk about life. Talk about a lot of things. They may or may not interest you. Have a listen and find out if they do. And if they don't, it's totally cool. But if they do, they might impact your life. And if they might impact your life, you might find meaning with your life. And if you find meaning with your life, you might have a great time and you might listen more to Chucked. Welcome to Chucked. I'm Charles Braxton. This is Austin Charles with me today. Austin, Yo. how are you doing? Good. Are you grumpy today? Not too bad. Not too bad. You got this... any grumpy old man vents that you want to do today? What's what's the what's I the... do, but it, I, what... I I thought I'm not supposed to date this podcast. Yes, so it's I, true. That's true. You would date it. Say anything. <laughs> what's something that's happened in the last decade that has ticked you off? You're still uh, grumpy about it, man. It's uh, hard for you to pick the one, Bush administration. It? I'll tell you five things. No, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, no, I, I, the last decade. It been, didn't go so well the last time you made a joke. Yeah, about political. It's, see, it's leanings. It, political jokes coming from me, or, or political perspectives coming from me, are funny because I don't care. You are the least political person yeah. I know. Well, today we're going to delve into... Jokes on the people that get offended by them. That's, it really that's, is. That's really yeah, I, I don't even get me started on that. I I don't even get me started uh, because, wow, how we missed the big picture. Today we're going to look at trends. We're going to look at bell curves. And every organization, every team goes through a bell curve of history. I find it fascinating. I'm, I'm constantly on the alert to see where our church, Southbrook, is on the bell curve, starting new curves. How do you start a new bell curve? Most organizations go down on the other side of the bell curve and are heading to the bottom or at the bottom, and they go, whoops, we need to start a new curve. We And it's too late. And smarter organizations, smart teams start a new curve while they're still heading to the top or at the top of their bell curve of their organizational history. And we're looking today at the entity known as ESPN, Entertainment and Sports Programming Network, I believe is what it stands for. And it's, it's on a downside of its curve. It's losing viewership. Mm-hmm. Obviously, viewing trends, people don't watch television like they used to. And what came in recent months were a number of layoffs. And then you came across an article about that's essentially titled, Why People Want ESPN to Fail. So first of all, share that, and mm-hmm. then let's, let's delve into that. Yeah, the article is written by Brian Curtis of The Ringer. Uh, to some context here, the ringer is made up of ex Grantland writers. So ex- all of whom were fired by, by ESPN, ESPN. So the mothership. They're slightly, as Dan slightly it. slighted by ESPN. Yeah. So there's 
possibly some non-objectivity. Yeah. Uh, the article, the worldwide leader in schadenfreude. For the first time in 40 years, for the, the people who don't know that word, that means like people finding pleasure and fall in someone's misery. Yeah. Right? Yep. Yep. Um, schadenfreude? Schadenfreude? Schadenfreude, right? I'm not, I'm not is brushed it, is, up on my German uh, today, but I think you're close Zijamans. enough to where the viewer is getting the idea. You got it. You guys got the it. You guys are doing great. Yeah. We're in this together. For the first time in 40 years, people aren't just criticizing ESPN. They're savoring its decline. There's an example of schadenfreude. Last week, I clicked over to my local college football message board and found a victory party that had nothing to do with recruiting. A group of sports fans were savoring ESPN's decline. The occasion wasn't even a bad day for the worldwide leader. By recent standards, just an announcement about talent shuffling on SportsCenter. Still, some posters cluckled about ESPN's politics. Some focused on race. I wonder who the token white will be, one poster wrote. Die, ESPN, die. Hmm. Historically speaking... It's stunning that sports fans would root against ESPN. Before ESPN was, be- was accused of being liberal, conservative columnist George F. Will was one of the network's most vocal admirers. If someone surreptitiously took everything but ESPN from my cable television package, he wrote in 1994, it might be months before I noticed. Now, critics are saying the opposite. That if all of ESPN's TV offerings disappeared except for a handful of big games, no one would miss much of them. In fact, they would smile. I think a lot of this comes from uh, whenever you have a product, never, ever let the product meet the needs of the customer, but never in quantity meet the needs of the customer. I mean, that's, that's got to be cardinal sin. If you're in a band, never play 45 minutes if you're asked to play 45 minutes. Right. right? No matter how good or bad you are, play 30 minutes. Right. You know? right. If you're asked to speak to high schoolers and they say, you got 30 minutes, you take 20. Oh, mm-hmm. that's a, like, trust me in this, friends. And I, so I think there's so much just, mm-hmm. it's so diluted. It's, it's like the NBA, you know, it's like the NFL. The NBA, the has, NFL, too many, the NBA sure. has too many teams, you know, yeah. um, Sacramento, Memphis, Utah, and... Um, Orlando, get them out. Don't need them. And in the NFL, I mean, they give us a game every other night. If we just had Sunday and Monday, we'd be starved they, for the NFL all week. And they would, and they are diluting their effectiveness. Yeah, There's no question. Oversaturation. All the, all, the, all the pre-draft coverage. And they're spending millions of dollars on these you know, sites. And, and it's just so, it's just, you know, it's so diluted. And uh, they've, given, they've given too much. And, uh, and they're, they're seeing the problem with that. Yeah, I I I remember when I was high schoolish. This I wish there was a network that just did sports. I remember I had this idea for there ought to be a sports show that just does replays of old games. Mm-hmm. I would love that. And ESPN in Classic started years yeah. later after ESPN launched in ni- 1979. And I thought, oh my gosh, I had this idea a long time ago. No, no, now of course, every time the NFL Network or ESPN plays a classic, it's from 2011. You know, mm-hmm. so that's not exactly what I was looking for. You know, you're old when the classics mm-hmm. are in the 21st century. And I, but I so love sports programming. 
if ESPN were eliminated from the sports map, would not miss them at all. Wish there were a, an alternative. Fox Sports doesn't really do it. Everybody tries to entertain too much. It's a great lesson for those of us in church leadership and stuff, you know, that entertainment literally means to engage, to hold attention. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing wrong with entertainment. I mean, Jesus entertained. He told stories. He gripped people's imaginations and, and it's, attention. It's all hot takery now. Like it's it's why I don't like, like what, basic just, programming television shows because it's all about <gasps> you slept with who, who killed who. It is. You know, and, and they've it, tried to merge entertainment and sports so much. You know, you got to have Rihanna do the intro to the NBA. Oh, shock and gosh. awe is not creative writing. You know, it, like it, it is so easy to shock and awe someone, right? And just with this, some take or some. Um, ce- celebrity or you know that they they've gone too far with that you know I the and political correctness I mean there's no question yeah we could t- we could take this a whole uh, uh, yeah social race way if you wanted to I don't know if um, we want to I'm fine with going there but I don't know well, I mean I, to me just under the category of of for losing who you are. Mm-hmm. The there, sports, like I, I still think there are people out there that okay, Sports Center shouldn't be an hour long, but just give me fifteen minutes of the highlights. Mm-hmm. Just give me fifteen minutes. There are two. I don't things, need guys who are comedians. I don't need that. Mm-hmm. There are two things that ESPN does well: the Dan Labatard show, which is just them. That, that show is basically they talk about subjects that I'm interested in in a funny way. They don't share They're their opinion about that. that. They don't. Yes. You know, there's. They just talk about things in a funny way that I'm interested in. And the other one is, is Sports Center from like, I think it's Sports Center LA. It's it's Butchergrass and Verrett. and yeah. um, I think it's Verrett, Verrett, Verrett. and uh, they're on from like midnight to you know just loops and replays. And I think the last one's on. And I always watch it like about five thirty. I turn it on in the morning and watch it till six fifteen. And it is just sports reporting. They're just, they're just, they're just catching me up uh, with the five hours that I missed right. when I was sleeping, right. you know, and, and, it, and that's, and that, and it reminds me of the way the sports center was in the nineties, you know, when you'd watch it three times in the morning or something, you know, and, and just, it was, it was just, it was not, but it's not opinion. Like, I don't even care what Phil ja- Jackson or, or Chauncey Billups, I don't even care what their opinion is on the NBA. Let alone, do I care about Michael and Jamel Hill's opinion? Is oh boy, uh, what, what, all, what, so they, so they, they they passed a couple tests, got a couple ten grand in debt, f- climbed their way up the the um, the racial and ethnic food chain of ESPN, and so now I I I'm forced to listen to their opinions and have them shoved down my throat. Like I, I don't care. Well, so nobody. I mean, people people don't listen. You know, it's because. So often, you, you it does get exposed that we don't know what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. We really don't. Uh, that's but we have to fill the programming, right? We have to fill the programming. And the interesting thing about that is one of the easier things to fall for is more is better. Mm-hmm. It is a major weakness of our profession, our industry, in. In the in Christendom, more is better. Like if that was really good, we ought to do it for an hour, not a half an hour. If it was, you know, more information is deeper, and and it's so easy to fall for that. And it, this era, more than any other, less is more. Less is more for sure. So how does this, as someone who has recently begun a leadership career? 
and then I'm someone who's been doing this a long time. We both approach this from different ways. Let's make the application of effectiveness to us. Mm-hmm. How does this interest you, looking at me, looking at yourself, looking at our church, our organization that we lead? We're constantly looking for what's the next curve, what's the next bell curve? If people knew how much we held back, they'd be so proud of us mm-hmm. on that. And by that, I don't mean another campus. That's, that's the same curve. I mean other creative manifestations that are new means of engaging culture. How does this, how does, so what, big deal, where does this apply to you as a soon-to-be 27-year-old leader? The first thing it makes me think of is when I had a cup of coffee at the Art Academy of Cincinnati when I was 19, uh, they, they stressed more than anything in those preliminary classes that it was not to anything to do with concept, you know, conceiving a, a piece. What they stressed more than anything was knowing when the painting was done. And that is, the, that is the last skill that a mature artist ever develops is knowing when the piece is done and not going too far. Yeah. And it's not being creative and coming up with something and, and working hard. It's just you're doing, you, you, you ruined it. Your ego got in the way and you, and you stayed at it too I like long. hearing that. Um, does that, does, does that uh, that's the first thing I think of. Does that, does, how, does, how much does that come into play with, for you with... Uh, with preparation, with sermon writing, and um, well, when you have like I have a, a spiritual gift of knowledge, so I'm able to retain information, and then I have a spiritual gift of teaching, and the weakness of those is you tend to think more information is better. Well, in the last ten years, I've learned that is not true. If you cannot say the sermon in a sentence, people are not going to certainly remember it. Mm. And I remember my sermons better than I used to from two weeks ago because I remember what the sentence is that it was about. Be brilliant, be brief, and be done. My messages are shorter and they're simpler. Mm-hmm. And I could make an argument they're deeper. <laughs> um, but it's so often that what you fight is that Christendom thing that a sermon is evaluated on the basis of how many notes people take. Or Jesus wouldn't have had very many notes taken at his, because his usually had one point. It was three stories that had one point. A woman lost a coin, right? Mm-hmm. A shepherd lost a sheep, and a father lost a son. There's just one message in that. And really, even the Sermon on the Mount is one message, one point, inner righteousness. It's not about managing the external image. Mm-hmm. It's internal transformation that fleshes itself outwardly. So for me, the combination of getting older and doing this and getting my 10,000 hours in, it's so much simpler for me because now I know all I need to do is build tension into that one hook. Now, there may be two, three, four applications from that of here's what you can do, but that one hook you have to communicate that way in this era because um, too much paint on the canvas and people can't see the picture. Mm-hmm. I, in my work, in my creative endeavors, amateurs use too much glue. Mm-hmm. Amateurs use too much paint, but professionals, as you said, 
use the right amount. And then the other thing to me is the constant need for renewal. Uh, it, you have to be unpredictable. One of the worst things you can be in this era is predictable. Mm-hmm. The minute that what we do is predictable, it, you know, I've had people tell me, yeah, I knew where you were going with that. I tuned you out. And eh, okay, that's a wake-up call. That sometimes you do have to surprise people just to say, no, you didn't know where I was going. Mm-hmm. That's uh, a fine line, too, with that shock and awe thing. Like it a, is. You know, and you can become shock and awe, and then you become a shock jock. Think, think how popular happen. Southwark would be if, like, if you came out and say Christ was bisexual. Whoa! You know, like, exactly. it, like it would... <laughs> Or, you know, he lo- he loved John. You know, <laughs> like the, yeah. You know, it would blow up. But it's, just, it it's just you know, it's just like it's like the, it's the Andy Stanley thing of you know the Old Testament's irrelevant or something. It's right. Why? And to, to even say, if it is, why? Right, right. To clarify what that's about is a while back, our staff attended a next gen conference in which Andy compared the Old Testament to your old flip phone, and the New Testament is the iPhone. And once you have the iPhone, you don't got to use the flip phone. Now, I have not heard the message. I understand that he was trying to communicate there that the fulfillment of the law is mm-hmm. in the new covenant. Personally, not to tell Andy Stanley what to do, I would have compared the Old Testament to the iPhone instruction manual. That you really can use the iPhone well if you'll read that manual. It'll open mm-hmm. up things. Like the iPhone for dummies, read it and you'll go, oh, I didn't know it could do that. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, but it's so easy in this era to fall for shock and awe mm-hmm. to be effective because people have so many messages coming their way that it's, it's, it's it's easy to go over that line of, ooh, I made a turn there that they weren't expecting, kept their attention, and crossed that line into, really? Really? Did I? See, some, some, you know, a lot of that's so in vogue today to just shock people with things. And I've certainly done my share of surprising things. But, you know, I, it, there, to me, there's something about being classy, too. For the more you know, having ex- class, the more extreme culture works in that way, the more uh, storytelling becomes more pronounced and and beautiful to me. And that the art of of making someone care, of 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 striking their emotions with not just the content but the delivery and the art and the craft of that. That um, it's not just a shock and 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 awe. It's it's you've made them care. You've you know it's 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 struck them at the heart. Um, And for me, that is this: if I speak out of my voice, which is my narrative, my coherent narrative, there are a lot of people that feel the same way. And it resonates with authenticity if I speak out of my voice. And that's one of the difficult things about being early on in leadership is you're impersonating other people. And so you're a three-headed monster. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You've really not found your voice yet. And one of the things I would say this about you is you found your voice early, mm-hmm. that your journey from dependence and self-medication into sobriety has allowed you to find your voice, and really it will be 
your journey will be the clarification of that voice. But if you speak out of your voice, your coherent narrative, I've always felt there are a bunch of people. The reason that people say, boy, do you have my house bugged? Is I have my own house bugged. (laughs) I have my own journey bugged. I'm in touch with my narrative. And it's not any different than anyone else. We struggle with the same things that people struggle with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it reminds me of when um, the first time I gave a lead in an AA meeting. A lead is when um, most AA meetings are open discussion, and everyone you know it functions kind of like you see in the movies, except that's way more dramatized. But a lead is when one person for the whole hour just tells their story what it was like, what happened, what it's like today. Um, and so the first time I do that, um, Gary from, from, uh, from, he's from Massachusetts. He was a great guy. Um, he, he said, there's only two people that are entitled to your story. And it's you and God. And that's all. That's, that's, that's the only, that's as honest as you have to be between you and God. And, and that, and that is most effective too, as you're saying. It it's is most effective. I, I, for me, this reminds me. I, I, you know, I try to do going off of what you were saying. I, I try to do two things each week. I think one is to maybe an unhealthy degree right now, which is maybe proving to myself that I'm not as mature as I'm. I think I am. I always do something each week that comes that is om- that is somewhat intentional. So you do something nat. So you do something intentionally immature. I, I, it's it's to like it's like subconsciously intentional. It's like subconsciously intentional. But if you like, do, I'm not as far if you do something I, immature I really out of intentionality, does that actually show you're more mature than you think you are? I don't know. Maybe it's like maybe like it's something like like swearing so much. Like I think that's something I do. Just like you know, you're just not as you you remind you're not you're 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 not based on spiritual perfection. You're based on spiritual progress. Based on that, this morning on the tennis court, you weren't as mature as I thought you were. No, and and that's yeah. You know, um, I'm not perfect. I'm pastor, I guess. You know, but uh, the other one is I once a week I try to make myself feel uncomfortable. I try to do something that makes me nervous, mm-hmm. and that 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 keeps me fresh and keeps me from impersonating myself. It keeps me f- operating within not limitless but within a certain framework it it um it helps me grow more than anything is is what so what key. this week am i am i going to get nervous about yeah that's so key that the, 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 the lobster kind of, story kind of like kind of like the lobster story yeah 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 the lobster yeah. grows the rabbi said because he goes under the rocks and he sheds his shell mm-hmm. that's how the lobster grows mm-hmm. there's if the lobster didn't feel the pain of the rocks and the pain of the shell he would never grow because mm. he would never shed his shell. And if the and if the lobster had a doctor who was prescribing medication, he would never grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just had to do that because I just <laughs> love the sound of that Jewish uh, rabbi. Yeah, <laughs> that I do not know his name, but he's from New York. That's uh-huh. awesome. Yeah, that's that is it. And and you know, for longevity and leadership, there is no longevity. There is no continuity without renewal, without shedding your shell. Growth, growth is just. It's just humility in action, and like Richard Rohr said, he he prays for for a humbling experience every day. I'm not there yet. I probably will never be there, but I I I do hope and pray each week for something that makes me nervous, something that I'm uncomfortable with. You know, maybe it's a, it's a um, you know a couple of weeks ago I've never spoken in front of teenagers before, so speaking in front of Dayton Christian. That was that was that was that was nerve wracking. I had a very incredibly uncomfortable meeting last week. 
um, that was nerve wracking, you know, and it's just, it's, and, and so anytime I feel those nerves, something new, it's, oh, this is good. Yeah. And it's met with gratitude. It's met with, yeah. this is good pressure. This is good stuff because this is what I've asked for. This is what, this is, this is the game I chose to play. When I teach students, athletes, pressure situations, how to deal with one of the things you do is you say, literally say out loud, not maybe so everyone in the arena can hear you, I love this moment. Like embrace it. Mm-hmm. I'm uncomfortable. Embrace it. Mm-hmm. And that actually releases your body from tension. Mm-hmm. And that's how you grow, is you embrace that pressure, you embrace that fear, you embrace that discomfort. Say, mm-hmm. I love this. And it just, it is very liberating. Anything else for you that as we're talking about this, because today, more than any other day, we want to end early since we talked about less is more. Yeah. Is there anything else? And a practical exercise for me uh, in a season I've been in with Scripture is um, minimizing, con- mis- minimizing content and maximizing focus. Is minimizing, you know, I, you know, there's been a lot of stuff I've, I've memorized and um, like the first one was the genealogy of Christ and, and that's all great. I think stretching the mind, but it's good to have a season in the last month or two that I've been in. And it's been, I've, I've just, I've really just read two chapters out of Matthew and that's it. I've, I've not touched anything else. And I'm just minimizing yeah. the content, the amount and maximizing my focus on it. And I could not agree with that more. I mean, Bible reading in a year plans are great. But that's a skim, mm-hmm. and I'm and I think maybe early on in your journey, it's not a bad thing to do that to get a grasp of the whole picture. But quality, not quantity. Mm-hmm. Uh, if people only knew how often I just, I'll I'll take two months and I'm just focusing on one passage, which really because they only had pieces, and they only had these these letters were circular. They did not have the whole Bible to just read in a year. They focused on. Hey, we're in Colossae, and we just got this letter from Paul. Let's 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 think about what he's telling us here. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, in that note, because less is more, is the theme of this show. We'll see you next time on Chuck. Deuces. Hey, listeners, if you like Chucked. Share that with, what are you waiting for? Share the good news. And if you want to hear me say, like Sally Field, you really like me, then you'll share that you like us. <laughs>